Portions of the show may be previously recorded. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I want to talk about the real basis of how you become wealthy, what investing really is, how it really works. And I'm going to take it down to the most basic level. And why, you say? Because the reality is I don't think people actually sit around and think about what the real basic level is. They just go out there and take shots at stuff. I noticed this when I decided I was going to start learning music again, uh, play the guitar again. And uh, no, I'm not good at it, never was good at it, never will be good at it. It's just something for enjoyment. But I noticed as I came back to something that I hadn't done in 30 years that I was able to start fresh from the beginning. And what I realized was the last time I tried to learn to play guitar, I just tried to learn to play guitar. I just tried to learn to play songs. All right, there's a song. Let's go watch somebody pick through that thing and do it and physically do it. I didn't understand music. I didn't understand anything about how chords were put together or or phrases and phraseologies. or I didn't understand really anything. And right now I could go over a hundred things that I've learned in just the last couple of weeks about music, let alone playing the guitar. Then I realized that, okay, I don't know any of this stuff. And before I just went out here and tried to play and pluck a few little songs. Yeah, I could pluck a few little songs, but I really couldn't play music because I really didn't even understand what music was. And I needed to learn the whole system. I needed to learn the whole thing. Now, a lot of people type A say, nah, that's, that's a waste of time. Just dive right in there and pluck those songs. And really, that's what I did the first time I tried to do it. And ultimately, I got to the point where I couldn't grow. I mean, I could learn to pluck a few songs, but I really could never get good because I never really knew why things went together the way they did. So... Right now, I'm going to take you back to investing here at that that lowest and most singular level of success. The stuff that most people just glaze right over, the stuff that kids are never even taught by their parents anymore, and go back to it because it's very, very important. So let's start at the beginning. You want to be wealthy. What do you have to have to be wealthy? you have to have an accumulation of assets, whether they be liquid assets like money and cash, bonds. A little less liquid is stocks. Even less liquid is real estate, and you have assets. You want to have a large amount of assets, right? So that's wealth, and you develop wealth over a period of time, orchestrating what I'm about to go over with you here at this moment. But wealth and building wealth is something separate from retirement in most cases. Most people think the retirement is, okay, I pile up a big giant pile of money. If the pile's large enough, I can stop working and just live off of it. 
but that is not what retirement really is. For the people that are truly retired, they've created some form of reoccurring income stream that they don't have to work for. Now, the simplest of that is a pension. And I know a lot of people. I have uncles and aunts that were teachers, and they are on pensions. And with a pension, you have a reoccurring income. It's not how much money they saved up. It's not their 203B or 401K or any of that stuff makes any difference at all because it's never going to be enough money to be able to live off of. You have to have a reoccurring stream of income. That's why pensions work so well. So you go one step further and go, well, how are we retiring? We retire because we go out in there and create passive streams of income that occur whether or not we get up and go to work each day. And because of those passive streams of income, we're able to retire. So retirement is not a pile of money. Retirement is a measurement of a stream of income. And you say, well, I can retire or I can't retire. Well, the answer is you could retire almost immediately. You could go to, you could live off Social Security like many people do. You could live off a very small amount of retirement funds produced by a very small asset or a large asset performing poorly. You could retire with a little teeny bit of cash flow. But the real problem about retirement is you don't want to retire with a small amount of income. In fact, most people want to retire at or above the standard of living they were living at when they were working. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't happen 90% of the time, 80% of the time, whatever the number is. By the way, I'm just making that number up. There's no definitive definition there. But I would be willing to bet that 80% of the people when they retire live on less than what they lived on when they were working. Don't know that for a fact. But I know that every one of you would like to live on more. That's a given. Some would be willing to live at. And some people, um, I guess it really doesn't matter what they want because they're going to live well below what they had. They're going to live on next to nothing. I guess if you lived in poverty your whole life, poverty... Plus one is still poverty, but it's still better than what you were. So I I don't really know. But the reality is when you finally decide, whether it be 17 years of age, 18 years of age, 20 years of age, for me it's something like 25 or whatever, 23 or whatever, I decided I wanted to get ahead in the world, you start the process. And, of course, you're out there looking for ideas and theories about how to do it and so forth. But the first ideal that you come across is that you need money. So where do you get money? Well, the logical place is to save it. Now, having said that, I see poor people every day, every single day. I bet you I could take you with me any day of any week of any year and go into any gas station, and we could sit there and watch some poor people buying lotto tickets. So how do poor people think they get money? They think they get it by winning it, by gambling it on a lotto ticket. All right? But for those that have any modicum of common sense, they're going to understand that the way you end up getting some money is by saving it out of your current cash flow. So sometimes in the radio show, I like to just go get definitions and work around the definition to see if it makes sense and chisel away at 
the point that the definition is trying to make. So here's the first definition. What is or what are savings? Savings refers to the money that a person has left over after they subtract out their consumer spending from their disposable income. Over a given time period, savings therefore represents a net surplus of funds for an individual or a household after all expenses and obligations are met. Now, there's an interesting statement there, which is disposable income. And disposable income uh, is just a, a nice way of saying after taxes, insurance, uh, 401k contributions, everything that you're doing, and actually 401k contribution wouldn't be a part of it, but really you've got taxes, you've got income taxes, you've got Social Security, you've got Medicare tax, and you may have state income tax. You've got property taxes if you own real estate, right? You've got sales taxes. And after all of these taxes, you end up with some money to spend, and that is your disposable income. Now, from that disposable income, we go to our consumer consumption, our consumer spending, as they call it. And most people spend every dollar they make. That's what the term living paycheck to paycheck means. It means, hey, we've got more month at the end of the paycheck than we have paycheck at the end of the month. That's the typical kind of lifestyle that the average person has in the United States, probably anywhere in the world for that matter, because most places you don't make enough money to even pay for your necessities, your consumer necessities to survive. Today we're talking about uh, how to develop the basis for wealth. Savings is what we're talking about right now. And we're talking about savings is really what you can save out of your disposable income each month or whatever it is you get paid. And um, that amount left over is your savings, right? So when we look at the situation, and I asked the question before we went to break, how do you save if you, you, know, you can't make enough money to even pay for all the stuff you have? And I made this point to people in the past. I have made this point to people in the past, and uh, I'll make it again. It's not a friendly point. It's not a, a point that most people would actually be willing to acknowledge. But the truth of the matter is this. What if tomorrow the government decided to take half of everything that you earn right now. Well, you're saying right now, I can't live on what I make now. What happens if they take half? And by the way, they could. Well, if they took half, you'd live on half. That's the bottom line. And you say, well, it'd be terrible. Go, yes, it would be terrible. But the people 100 years ago lived on half of what you have now. They didn't have all this stuff you have. They didn't have all this electronics you have. They didn't have all this. They had food and clothes and maybe, maybe one change of clothes. Not $200 pairs of tennis shoes. $2 pairs of shoes. Dollar pair of pants. You'd learn how to do it. You would get by. You're just kidding yourself to think that there's no way you could save money. Because you're living above your means. Your means is not below reality. You are living above your means. Your means are probably reality. They're probably about like everybody else. But you want more than you can afford. If you wanted to be successful financially, you would live below your means. That's all there is to it. 
millions of ways. If I were writing books on how to help poor people that were extremely poor and broke, I would tell you a hundred ways to fix all those problems. But that's not who I'm trying to help because they're really looking for a handout instead of a hand up. And they say, well, that's a political thing. We're going to come after you. Yeah, come after me all you want. The bottom line is that if those people really wanted help, we could help them. But they'd have to do something. Not want something, but do something. So here we are. What do we need to do? What we need to do is live below our means. Very simple, right? Now, once you live below your means, you now have excess money. We're calling that savings. What do you do with the savings, right? Well, it says right here, savings are kept in a form of cash or cash equivalents, EI bank deposits, which are exposed to no risk of loss, but also come with correspondingly minimal returns. Savings can grow through investing, which requires that money be put to risk. So we're talking about here the next step. You can take that savings and you can put it in the bank and let it sit there. Safe. And to some degree, you should have some money that's in a nice, safe, liquid form like that. And you can do that. But that's not going to grow your wealth. It's not going to grow it at all. So now you have to decide, well, do I want to grow my wealth? And if you do, then you got to do the next painful thing. You've got to step away from the safety of savings and go out there and risk investing. Brought up the definition of investing. By the way, I got all these out of the same dictionary, so whatever it is, it says investing. Investing broadly is putting money to work for a period of time in some sort of project or undertaking in order to generate positive returns, profits that exceed the amount of the initial investment. But we'll get back to that for a second because that's really not what we're getting to. It goes on and says, in the act of allocating resources, usually capital, with the expectations of generating income. Now, it also says profit or gains, but we're not going to profit or gains yet. We're saying what we are doing with savings when we invest it is we are looking to produce income. Because if you want to retire, what do you have to have? Not profit. No, you can have some profit. Can't retire on profit. You can have some gains. You can't retire on gains. You've had some profits in the stock market. You've had some gains in the stock market. You're still working. That's not what you need. What you need is regular, reoccurring income. Regular, reoccurring, and also realized income. The word realized is important. So let's say we go out there and we buy anything that's income producing, a CD. So the CD produces income. Well, that's income. It's regular, and it's reoccurring. That's all beautiful, right? Now let's say we buy that CD inside of a 401k. Now it's regular. Now it's reoccurring, but it's not realized. What do I mean by realized? You don't have the money. The money's in your 401k. If you've got money in a 401k or you've got money in an IRA, that's not realized returns. Realized means it goes into your hand every month. There it is. Boom. Check in the mail. Cash in hand. Spendable. That's realized income. Until you have regular, reoccurring, realizable income, you can't retire. 
And so we are investing, and that's a key factor here, we are investing for those for those returns, which are income. Now, some people don't invest for income. My rule number one is don't lose money, right? Which means don't speculate. But some people are speculators. Rule number one is don't lose money, don't be a speculator, don't be a gambler. People don't like to be called gamblers, but they don't realize that a speculator is the same thing as a gambler. What is a gambler? What is a speculator? They are someone who believes that you can go out and put money at risk and do nothing at all as far as effort or intelligence or abilities or skills and that you'll be able to buy something and somebody that's dumber than you, we call that the greater fool theory, some greater fool than you will be willing to pay more than you did to buy that from you. The greater fool theory believes there's always going to be somebody out there dumber than you and pay you more for the asset you own. Now, it always seems that that's true while the market is going up. <laughs> but then when the market starts going down, you look in the mirror and you see the fool. The greater fool is you. And that's what speculators don't realize, is that given a day or a moment in change, you go from being a hero to a loser. Right? That's what speculation is. Take a short break. Be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. Del Wamsley's Real Estate Investing Worst Case Scenario. Let's say the Democrats took away all tax deductions away from real estate like Ronald Reagan did in 1986. In 1986, we had stock market crash, a real estate value crash. The world came to an end for three months. Why? Because he took the value away from owning real estate for people who used it as a tax break. People like myself who got started at 87 go, you know, you can really buy this stuff cheap right now. In fact, I can buy it so cheap, I can rent it and make a 20% return. Cap rates were 20%. I buy a building and I made 20% of my money without leverage. If I put leverage on it, I made 30 or 40% return. Ungodly returns. Right now, you can earn less than 1% on a savings account. So do you think I hope that happens again? Yes, I do. In 2008, when the world crashed and cratered, I bought real estate 50 cents on the dollar. I said, well, what happened to the stuff you already owned? I kept it. It stayed full. We rented it. We made money. Don't let the fear of losing money hold you back from making money. Join us for the next live online free workshop. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about how to move through the investment decisions of your life and how to look at your savings and how to think about creating savings, about investing, 
And um, I just wanted to reiterate one more thing on investing. It says here uh, in this definition, it says one can invest in many types of endeavors, either directly or indirectly, such as using money to start a business or assets such as purchasing real estate in hopes of generating rental income. Now, again, we want to get back to this here, that what I'm talking about and what I've been talking about for 32 years now is creating income, not creating capital gains. My third goal, goal number one, was don't lose money, don't speculate. Rule two was there's got to be cash flow, you can't retire. And rule three was you can't get rich slow, which means the third part of what I think about is the long-term capital gains of things. And my investments are always looking towards the long-term capital gains. So what is the difference between looking for long-term capital gains and speculating? Well, let's go take a look at the definition of speculating and work forward into that part of the conversation. It says, what is speculation? In the world of finance, speculation or speculative trading refers to the act of conducting a financial transaction that has substantial risk of losing value. Let me repeat that. That has substantial risk of losing value, but also holds the expectation of a significant gain or other major value. So there you go. Speculating is when you're taking major risks. So when you invest, and I go buy a piece of real estate that I'm holding as a rental property, and it goes up in value over three, four, five, seven, ten years, that's investing, and those are capital gains. But if you go buy a piece of real estate and you turn around and sell it immediately for a gain, uh, or even over a shorter period of time as a gain, that's speculation. And by the way, that's taxed differently. And it's also much riskier, as people are finding out right now that bought real estate uh, just to last three to six months. What are we in July right now? So since January of 2022, people have been buying real estate at the peak of the market with the lowest interest rates ever known to mankind. Now, interest rates have gone back up. Prices have gone down. And these people are sitting with pieces of real estate right now. The interest rates are too high to get to pay off that old loan and get a new loan. And they can't sell because the value of the property has gone down. And people trying to buy it, even if they paid them the same price that they paid themselves for it a few months ago, could not buy it for that price because the interest rates would not facilitate that purchase. So these people are now in a upside down situation in their investment. Now, if they hold on to it for X number of years, and I don't know the X number is going to be, I have no idea, but if they hold on to it for X number of years, that will all wash itself out again. But if they were there for a speculative investment, thinking I can get in here, I can renovate this thing and turn around and get out of this thing in a year or two or three, they're going to have some problems. Or if they're building something brand new, and they built it under the anticipation to be worth X, and now it's X minus something, they've got some problems, right? So uh, as I read on here, we'll look further into what this definition says. It says, investors who purchase a speculative investment is likely to focus on price fluctuations. While the risk associated with the investment is high, the investment is typically more concerned about generating a profit based on a market value change um, 
for that investment rather than long-term investing. So there you go. These people that have been buying these apartment complexes here, these syndicators, they've been buying them for the last six months to a year or two years. They have to know these are the highest prices there ever were. They had to know these are the lowest interest rates that ever were. But they were buying them because there was no cash flow. I mean, they were the price was so high, there was very little cash flow. They weren't making money as investment rental income. They were making money because these things were going up in value so fast. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, I bought a property, a Class A property that I paid 120000 a door for. And two years later, I looked at the same type of property, same age, same general sub-market, same general area, and it was $240,000 a door. I mean, that's speculative. That's unbelievable. The guy bought my property, could have speculated, could have sold. I could sell it right now for a speculative gain of quite a bit of money. But I'm not in it for the speculation. I'm in it for the cash flow. I'm in it for the principal pay down and reduction. I'm in it for the tax benefits, uh, you know, rebates and whatever I get from it um, or the amount of income it allows me to earn without paying taxes on it. Um, I'm in it for the rental income. So, you know, there's all these things I'm in it for and long-term value gains is one of them. I mean, it's already got long-term value gains. And let's say speculatively it goes down in value over the next six months to a year or two because of the market changing. So it's not worth two forty a door anymore. It goes back down to two hundred thousand or I paid one twenty for it. So I'm still I'm in great shape. And I don't have to refinance it because they got a long term finance at a low interest rate. So I don't have to refinance. And even if I do have to refinance and pay a higher interest rate, there's no problem because I have very low debt to income on or debt to, to value. So I could very easily get a loan because I don't have very much debt to have to refinance out. So in every way, shape, and form, this transaction is safe for me, the one I'm talking about. It's a good situation. It's an investment purchased by an investor that's trying to make a safe, logical investment that produces rental income and, of course, long-term capital gains. Whereas the speculator is looking for a market fluctuation change. But remember what the first definition of speculation is. In the world of finance of speculation, speculating, speculative trading refers to an act of conducting a financial transaction with substantial risk. I'm right, underline that. Substantial risk of losing value. So they did it. They pulled off a very speculative investment, and there's substantial risk of them losing their money. That's what speculation is. That's what people do. And people speculate all the time. People buy their home, say, I'm going to buy my home to live in it uh, because I'm going to be in a good neighborhood because it's going to go up in value in a good neighborhood faster than it goes up in value in a low neighborhood. Well, that's speculating. They're speculating that it will go up in value quicker. But is that investment? No. Why is it not investment? Because they're consuming the value, the potential income that that property could earn, the money in that property could earn, is being squandered by them living in it. You say, well, I have to live somewhere. Yes, you do. But that doesn't negate the fact that you're consuming 
the income from this investment. And so it's not producing income. And will it go up in value? Well, it will. Will it go down in value? It could. In fact, right now, many real estate values, much of which have been purchased recently, are probably going to be underwater in six months to a year. It's going to happen. So you've got to look at your investments and start thinking about them. Am I saving enough money? Number two, is my savings where it should be? Is part of it safe and secure? Is part of it invested? Is it invested as an investment or am I speculating with my money, which means I could potentially lose everything that I think that I'm investing? goes on and says, without the, the prospect of substantial gains, there would be absolutely no motivation to engage in speculation. Well, with markets going against you, how can anybody engage in speculation? I mean, there's no motive. The properties are going down in value as you buy them. Except for the people that understand investing. Because with investing, what's happening is that our cost basis for getting into that investment, which produces the same amount of income it produced, whether the price was high or the price was low, our basis for getting into that investment is much lower and our return on investment is much higher. So there you go. We're going to finish this show up today with uh, an email. And uh, I think this is a rather interesting and challenging email to uh, comment on. But I'm happy to do so because I think it's uh, probably a topic that should be touched on. And so although it's not a friendly email, it's a uh, combative email against me, I think that probably should be brought to light. I think that that's the way communication really works best. So it goes on and says, Dear Mr. Wamsley, I had just begun to listen to your radio show, was learning a lot, and even considered joining LU. That is until the show a few days ago when you trashed California, called it communist. Suddenly, an otherwise intelligent and seemingly non-political business and real estate expert turned hateful. You glibly encouraged California residents to move out of our home state, even if I were a mind to abandon my friends, my family, and my livelihood, and what you admit was a beautiful place, and it is a beautiful place, you sounded a call of retreat. Socialism is when people of good character face adversity and hardship with fortitude. That's completely backwards, sir. I don't know how you even believe that. Socialism is when you don't face adversity and fight it, right? Socialism is actually the other. is where you give in and let those people tell you what to do. And that's why we're calling it communism and socialism in California as a state because you've got those people, those hypocrites at the top that are dictating what you can and cannot do. You've lost your freedoms in California completely. And that's why it's a socialistic and or communistic state, however you want to split the hairs on that situation. He goes on and says, Dennis Prager and Hugh Hewitt and other good conservatives sound the same retreat. First of all, I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm closest to libertarian, if anything, which is just leave me alone, okay? Despite continuing to live here and get rich and live in mansions themselves. Well, I think they're trying to change the state uh, that they live in. would like to see it change back to really a more 
middle-of-the-line world like everywhere else in the country is, and less so in these types of socialistic-type-driven areas where the, all of the things, and I don't have to go into all the stuff that's wrong with California. I mean, we could do this forever. I want to get to another point. With them, it's just a way to make money off the grievances of the masses. So there you go. Now you believe that these guys who are trying to change the state back to a more conservative approach to life are doing it to make money off the masses. There's a very liberal thing to say. But I don't understand how you can espouse such views, even if your personal preference is to live and invest in places like the one-party states of Texas, whose legislature is largely controlled by two billionaire puppet masters. By the way, that's not actually true, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, whatever his belief system is, it seems dumb to have your shows on the air here broadcasting such blatant bias. Well, I'll tell you, this is the part I wanted to get into. It's not dumb because my highest ratings in the whole country are in California, believe it or not. This is why I couldn't even believe it when we first went there and they started showing me that I had some of the highest ratings on the radio, in AM radio, in California. Why? Because there are millions of Californians that do not agree with what's going on out there. But they're afraid to step up and say anything. You all know who you are. You're listening right now because my ratings are through the roof in California. You're listening right now and you know you're afraid to tell your friends that you're not really a liberal. You're afraid to complain about the poop on the street and the people living in tents on your front yard. You're afraid to complain about all the 12% income tax, state income tax. You're afraid to complain about the forest fires and the mudslides and all the stuff that goes on there. You're afraid to complain. Because, you know, the liberals that are in charge will put you in jail, do something to you. So when you say I, I'm telling people that they should move away, I'm saying move away to get freedom. Yeah, it's a nice, beautiful place to live, but not at the cost of freedom. Freedom is just another word for something you can lose. And Californians have lost it. It goes on and says... Good luck with this strange business model. California, like the United States, is governed by people. If you broadcast such contempt for our government, you must hate us as well. Hey, I don't hate anybody in California. I don't even hate California. I hate the political stance that you have the right to tell me what to do. You have the right to take away my assets. You have the right to take away my freedom. You have the right to do the things that California political people are doing. I don't believe in that. Okay? That must be libertarian. Save yourself some money and pull LUI out of California. I'm not saving myself any money to pull out of California. I'm helping people. There are people there that need to hear conversation on the radio every day that is not the same old liberal conversation they get on every other radio and TV show that's out there. You could always apologize and change, but you know that gets harder to do when you get older. All right, here we go. Let's Let's uh, age shame me now. <laughs> He's age shaming me. I get this. It's great, man. That's, there's a liberal thing to do. Let's shame somebody over something, okay? Let's woke him. Let's use woke on him, okay? I'm more bitter. The, the, the older you get, the bitter you grow. I hope you don't amass that wealth only to leave divided and hyperpartisan union of your children. My friend, if you really want to see where the hyperpartisanism comes from, just Watch the liberal news. That's where it all comes from. All the hate, all the partisan, 
all of that comes out of the Liberal Party. They're doing everything they can do to divide and conquer this country. They are not trying to put it together. They're trying to tear it apart. So, my friend, I will continue to try to save people in California. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.